Hey there, Crumholics. It is your host, Kenzie. I'm here with another Missing Mondays episode. Missing Mondays was a segment that was created because at any given time, 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. While some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. It is my goal here at Crimeholics to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that I can. On this episode of Missing Mondays, I will be bringing you another missing and murdered Indigenous women case. Mary Johnson Davis went missing in November of 2020, and as you know, there is an epidemic plaguing Native American women in North America. And as you can guess, like every other missing and murdered Indigenous women case I have covered on this show, there is very little information in the media about Mary Johnson Davis's disappearance. I get asked often what pecuned my interest in covering missing and murdered Indigenous women, children, and people. The answer is rather simple. There's a massive epidemic against Native American women, children, and people. I've said it many times on our show, and I will continue to repeat it until something changes and their cases finally start getting handled properly. In 2017, while living in South Dakota, I started a foster care journey and learned that a high percentage of children that I was going to be fostering were going to be Native American children. At the time, I was very ignorant and uneducated about the Native American culture. In the best interest of the children, I started learning their culture but did not fully submerge myself into the culture until my ex-husband and I were placed with a five-week-old Native American female. The more I learned about her culture is when I learned the epidemic that she would be facing as she got older, whether that be in my home permanently or back in her family home. The more I got to know her biological family, the more I learned about the struggles the women in her family had faced through every generation of women. Women in every generation of her family had either faced sexual assault, domestic violence, had gone missing, and paid the ultimate price of being murdered. Each incident has never been fully investigated. No arrests have been made against their predators and killers. Their stories are no different from the stories that you will hear from every other Native American family. There is never an ending, there's never closure, and there's never justice. We have covered many missing and murdered Indigenous women's stories on this podcast, and not a single one of their cases has had any movement, any further investigation, and no arrests have been made. It has now been over two years since Mary Johnson Davis went missing from the Tulalip Reservation in Washington, and her family is begging for anyone to take their sister's case seriously, to bring her home, or to find the person responsible for her possible homicide. Mary Johnson Davis and her sisters were born and raised on the Tulalip Reservation in Washington until their family was separated by the foster care system due to their parents struggling heavily with substance abuse. While the foster care system removed the girls from their home for their safety, what they did not know is they were placing Mary and one of her sisters into a home where they were not physically safe at all. Mary and her sister would go on to be badly abused by their foster parents. Coming from a former foster parent myself, I'm not blind to or ignorant to the fact that there is a high majority of foster homes where children are not safe. I'm also not blind to the fact that a high majority of Native American children that are placed in the foster care system are often abused. The state agencies try their best to keep Native American children in the homes with their Native American family members while in foster care, but unfortunately, it's not always possible. 
When Mary and her sister became adults, they would ultimately sue the state agency, and with solid evidence of their abuse, they won the lawsuit and both women were awarded $300,000. After the lawsuit had finally ended, Mary tries her best to move on with her life. Her sister stated that Mary was a creative and talented artist who had a major love for cats and carried a vibrant and outgoing personality. Later on in life, Mary would meet a man who was also a member of the Tulalip Reservation, and the two of them would get married. There was not much information provided about their marriage, but in late 2020 is when Mary's family noticed a change in her behavior. During that time in 2020, Mary and her husband were living with Mary's younger sister, Jerry. Jerry said that one day the two of them abruptly moved out of her home and to a town 40 miles away on the Tulalip Reservation. Jerry stated that after Mary moved away is when she noticed things were not right with Mary. Whenever Jerry would call Mary's phone, she wouldn't answer or return any of her calls. When she would try to reach out via text messages, the texts would go unanswered, and this was not like Mary. Prior to Mary's disappearance on November 25, 2020, it was reported that Mary and her husband had started separating and Mary was staying at different homes belonging to her friends in order to be able to get away from her husband, stating that she feared him. It had been said that Mary would only return to the home where she and her husband lived every few days to pick up her mail and to be able to take a shower. On November 24th, 2020, just one day before Mary goes missing, she is at the home belonging to her and her husband. She packs a suitcase, her and her husband leave the home together, and he drives her to a friend's home for the night. Who this exact friend is, is never reported to the public. However, this friend told the tribal authorities that after Mary was brought to their home, she took Mary over to the courthouse to inquire about filing for divorce. After the two leave the courthouse, Mary plans to stay the night at the friend's home, but just for one night because she plans to go to another friend's home in a town called Oso, 30 miles away from the current friend's home the very next day. The home that Mary stayed at the night of the 24th, it was reported that Mary, the homeowner, who's the friend, and a guest of the friend, who was said to be male, was staying in the home that night. Mary asked her friend, the homeowner, if they could take Mary to a church not far from the home where a friend from Oso would meet her and pick her up and take her with them. The guest that was also staying at the home that night also asked for a ride the next day along with Mary. The homeowner said they had no problem giving both Mary and the guest a ride to the church the next day. That was until later in the night when an argument broke out in the home and the homeowner said they would no longer take Mary or the guest to the church the next day. It was never released to the public why this argument broke out or who the argument was between. Mary was still going to go to the church to be picked up by her friend the next day, even if it meant having to walk. The next day on the 25th, Mary left the friend's home with the other guest and the two of them started walking towards the church. As the two of them were getting closer to the church, phone records showed that Mary texted the friend from Oso that was supposed to pick her up and told the friend that she was getting close to the church. The friend that was picking up Mary saw her and the male guest walking down the road together and returns her a text that says they only have enough room for one person in the car and that they would not be stopping to pick her up. This seems so odd because according to the friend that was supposed to pick her up, they tell the authorities that although they 
never saw Mary at the church. They saw her and the male guest walking down the street and they just drove right past them and never stopped. If you just drove 30 miles from Oso, why would you not at least stop and have a conversation with Mary about how you don't have room in the car for two people? Why not stop because you at that point don't even know who the male guest is, what his intentions are, and maybe that male guest isn't even wanting a ride in the car with Mary. And you just assumed and kept driving on by and basically tell Mary, sorry, screw you, figure it out. And this would be the last credible sighting of Mary. Two weeks have went by and no one in Mary's family has heard from her. It was not until December 9th that her husband reported her missing, and many people have questioned, including her sisters, why he waited two weeks to report her missing. But we have to take into account that the two of them are separated and she is filing for divorce. It is a high possibility that he figured that Mary did not want to come back from Oso and that she likely did not want to hear from him, and that's why all of his calls and texts were going unanswered. However, this is very much speculation on my part. After she was reported missing to the police, as any other MMIW case, there, of course, was very little urgency in the matter. There was only one search warrant executed, which brought about the information regarding Mary's whereabouts the day before on the 24th and the day she went missing on the 25th. Police questioned the friend that she stayed with the night before she went missing, the male guest she walked with to the church, the friend from Oso that was supposed to pick her up, her sisters, and that's it. The police never even bothered to question her husband about where he was the night of the 24th and the day of the 25th. When the police questioned the male that Mary was walking with to the church, he told them, yes, the two of them walked to the church together, but at some point he stopped off at a friend's house and she kept walking alone. He says that this was supposedly the very last time that he saw her. When the police questioned the friend from Oso who was supposed to pick her up, they gave the police the information that they saw her walking on Fire Trail Road in Marysville where the church is located. And again, with that same story that they just kept driving because they saw her with the mail and did not have room for him in the car. After police got nowhere with their questioning, police look into where Mary's phone had been pinging. This is where it gets weird. And I start to have a lot of questions, and I start coming up with several different theories. Police released information that Mary's phone actually pinged in the Oso area later on in the night of the 25th, and that it pings again early into the morning on the 26th, back in the town of Marysville. Again, this is where the church is located. This is what does not add up here. Oso is 30 miles away from the church. The police state that based on the time when her phone had pinged in Oso, it would have been impossible for Mary to have gotten to Oso on foot by the time her phone had pinged in Oso, which leaves us with one of two things. Mary was either picked up by someone and driven to Oso and back to the town of Marysville, or someone took Mary's phone from her and for whatever reason went out to Oso and then back to Marysville. But the main question we are left with is, who was it? Who was the person or persons involved with Mary's phone pinging in two separate locations? Because someone is involved, she did not just disappear into thin air. There was many different people involved with Mary within the 24-hour window before her disappearance and after. However, the authorities have done very little to determine who exactly was the last person involved with Mary.
I read a quote from one of the investigators working on her case, and there was a lot of, well, I don't know this because of this reason, and she could be missing or murdered because of this reason, but I haven't done the work because there's too many unknown possibilities. I want to read you exactly what was said to help you better understand why I have such frustrations with what the investigator said. And he says, quote, we don't know if she was kidnapped, held against her will, if she will be murdered or has been murdered. It could be argued maybe she just wandered off in the woods and got lost. Maybe she overdosed and passed away somewhere in a remote area and we just don't know where her body's at. Maybe she's just hiding. Maybe she's in treatment. There's a lot of maybes here. What this tells me is that the reason you don't know if she was kidnapped, held against her will, if she has been murdered, maybe she did wander off and get lost, or maybe she overdosed and passed away somewhere and you can't locate her, is because no real investigation has been done here. No searches, no cadaver dogs, no helicopters, no ATVs, no nothing. So of course you wouldn't have any answers to the above because absolutely nothing has been done in effort to find Mary. Since Mary's disappearance, her husband has moved out of the state of Washington to California and has nothing to do with helping locate his wife. Her family even held a memorial to honor her just one year after she disappeared, and they even invited her husband to join, but he declined their offer. As of January 2023, Mary is still missing, and like many other Native American families, her family is desperate for someone to do something. Someone somewhere knows exactly what happened to Mary Johnson Davis on November 25th, 2020. It is heartbreaking that every single time I cover one of these missing persons cases, I have to say how much little information is provided to the media, especially when it comes to Native American women. I found only a handful of articles that offered some type of information, and most of the articles that I found just offer repeat information. So whether a missing persons episode ends up eight minutes or 40 minutes, it does not matter the time length because this is somebody's loved one. This is somebody's sister. This is somebody's aunt. This is somebody's cousin. This is somebody's real life. They're living a nightmare because their loved one is out there somewhere and they have no answers as to what had happened and who may have taken their loved one away from them. I cannot stress enough how important it is to share every single one of these missing persons stories, whether there is tons of information or whether there is very little information at all. Somebody somewhere knows something and it's going to take the public just hearing any little bit of information that they can that may spark a memory from that day or maybe they finally start to feel a little bit of guilt that they know what has happened and they finally step forward. It's all about keeping their names out there and their stories alive because eventually that person is going to step forward. Mary Johnson Davis went missing from the Tulalip Reservation in Washington. She's a Native American female who stands at five feet, six inches tall, who has dark brown hair and brown eyes. There, again, was very little information that was released. But if you happen to know even a sliver of information or something stood out to you from the information that I have shared, you are highly encouraged to call the Tulalip Tribal Police at 360-716-5918. Crimaholics, please share Mary's story. Share it with your friends and family, anybody you know who might live in Washington, so that way Mary's family can get the closure that they deserve.
Crimeaholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, or you're more than welcome to follow me at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Crimeaholics, as always, be aware and take care.